the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Matt Tamini. What is up, everybody? This is your host, Chris Ferrini, bringing you another episode of the Buckout Podcast with the Lenny Grant Holy Land family. Uh, I'm here joined by Jordan Williams once again. Uh, how you doing today, Jordan? You know, I'm doing good. It's, it's been a long day, but today officially starts my vacation. Well, tomorrow officially starts my vacation. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Yeah, that's good. Where, where, are, you, where are you traveling to? Uh, I'm well. I'm currently in North Carolina, but I've been working the last couple of days because I work from home. So gotcha. I'm on vacation, but I have been working. Tomorrow is my first day of like no work, so it officially starts. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Yeah, I think I, I need a vacation soon. Uh, I moving back to Columbus, so I guess I'm gonna have to use all my vacation days there. But that's exciting. I'm glad you gotta get out there. Are you visiting family, or you're just visiting friends, or something? Yeah, visiting friends. What part of North Carolina are you in? Uh, I'm in Charlotte, so. Charlotte, okay. So you'll, you'll have some stuff to do, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little bit in ACC country, but that, there's no problem with that. Yeah. Not as long know. as we're just visiting. Yeah, we're visiting, you know. Not 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 taking on anything with college football either, so it's okay. Yeah, Except just make this, sure. You know. yeah. yeah, make sure you're wearing a little bit of Ohio State stuff out, just enough, like maybe a hat or something, just to make sure everyone knows what's up. Because you got we got bragging rights right now. Obviously. Yeah. So speaking of bragging rights, we've had bragging rights over these people for some time. And, you know, to get it started, I think I just kind of want to highlight how serious Ohio State's taken this rivalry over the last 20 years. Uh, there's been absolutely no blue allowed in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center uh, since Urban Meyer took over for sure. And I even think Jim Trestle was very anti-blue in the Woody Hayes Center. Ryan Days continued it. Uh, there's a lot of hatred. There is something Ohio State is doing every day to be better than that team up north. And a certain coach up north to me seemed like he never understood what actually went into beating Ohio State. And I always was kind of confused because when you bring in a guy who's supposed to understand the rivalry and he just shows this ignorance towards it, what, what are you supposed to do? So last week now... And I want to talk about it because this is just such a funny story to me. Jim Harbaugh said there will not be red allowed in any Michigan facilities. All right. So, yeah, that's great. Awesome. It seems to me like it's five years too late. Uh, are, are, am I with you on that one, Jordan? Yeah, honestly, it's like 20 years and like five coaches too late. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the funniest part about this, and we both know this year, is the very next day, after Jim Harbaugh made this proclamation, there's not going to be any red allowed, zero red anywhere in Ann Arbor. This is a blue uh, and yellow only. The next day, a recruit by the name of Nate Johnson shows up in red shoes. So this kind of highlighted to me kind of the Harbaugh whole the whole tenure of Jim Harbaugh, that's kind of what this highlighted to me. It's been nothing but shortcomings, uh, big promises, not being able to keep them. And I just kind of wanted to highlight that because every single opportunity I get to make fun of those guys, I'm going to do it. And I think this kind of just puts a highlight on the program the last five years. It's been a lot of misdirection, a lot of promises made, and nothing to keep up. And it's been kind of sad. And I, I really want your perspective on this, Jordan. How do you feel Jim Harbaugh has actually really presented himself since he re-signed this thing, his extension? You know, I think he I think he forgot the most important thing to, to being a coach at Michigan. Um well actually I actually, you know, I don't even I don't even know if I can say that anymore. I don't even know if Michigan as a university at least really even cares about the rivalry. You know, I mean I'm sure there's some diehard fans that do. Um but obviously it's not enough because he hasn't won yet and he hasn't been fired. I mean, he, you know, Ryan Day could have Jim Harbaugh's exact, you know, his exact record. And which is, if you take away the Ohio State game, if you take away Michigan State 
it's pretty solid. If you take away the fact that he hasn't won rivalries or bowl games, but like it's pretty solid. He owed 10, 11 wins most years, That this, that, and the third. But if Ryan Day did that over a five-year stretch but never beat Michigan, he would be fired. If Urban sure. Meyer would have done everything that he, done, he did, including winning the national championship, but every other year except maybe that national championship year, he didn't beat Michigan, he might have been fired or at least on the hot seat. And just even like, like you're saying, just not having – and it's like he doesn't have any – Anything going on that's like anti Ohio State, like you really have to like breed a rivalry, especially now. Like one thing that people talk about, you know, that's interesting is the rivalry is not like it used to be, where most of the players on Ohio State's roster are from Ohio, and most of the players on Michigan's roster are from Michigan, and then you have those couple of players who on on the other team, you know, Michigan has those couple Ohio kids that Ohio State didn't want that really breed that rivalry. And now it's like you have kids coming from Florida and Texas and Los Angeles and all over the country. You have to ingrain that in them. And by doing that, you do things that Ohio State does. You have the periods. You have the practice. You do know blue. You you, you have it all over. You have the clock. You have it all over the walls and things like that to where people who are not natural in that rivalry because they didn't grow up in Ohio, they buy into it. And yeah. As you said, it's five years too late. You can't quote unquote buy into it now. You have all, you have seniors on your roster who've never cared about the rivalry. So as the recruit did, why are the recruits supposed to care? Why are they supposed to show up? Yeah, I think it's interesting because like to me, when I first saw that quote, he said you can't even drink red caterade in the facility. It seems so fake and so yeah. fabricated. Like he's really just trying to win these brownie points with the fans to just try to get an extra couple of years in this. And it feels just like it's being so forced. It doesn't feel natural to him. And number one, I don't understand it. If I was a coach of Ohio State tomorrow, I'd have one goal in my mind, and it's to beat the brakes off that team up north because that's exactly the starting point you need to have to get to that next level. And it's crazy to me because I was born in 96, so that means Ohio State's been had a winning record in my life against yeah. that team up north. And – that's because the guys, starting with Jim Trestle, put so much emphasis on beating them. And you would always hear those stories about the out-of-state kids you brought up. There's always those Ohio kids who grow up understanding it. And then these out-of-state kids get there, especially under Urban Meyer, because he just took it to another level, even from Jim Trestle, who put all that hatred into that rivalry, that every day we need to be better than those guys up north. You know, they're working harder than us, even if they're not, like, it's in the back of your mind, like, I got to keep working hard because we got to beat them. Those Ohio kids show up, they know it. And then that first day, you hear that story, the report. I remember Sean Wade talking about it. I remember a lot of these guys from the last couple of years talking about it. Like, that first day they're there, they're like, holy crap. Like, it's about beating the brakes off these guys. Nothing else matters. And if we can do that and prepare for that, we're going to be champions. And that's why, to me, Jim Harbaugh has been a resounding failure at Michigan because it's not just against Ohio State. It's against Michigan State. It's against other teams that have rivalries with them, and he's failed mightily against them. He's failed in bowl games, like he said, in big games that matter because guess what? They aren't taking those extra practice sessions. They're not taking that extra time to really put emphasis on why they want to be great. And that's right. They said those who stay will be champions. Well, guess what? It's been five years, Jim. Yeah. You haven't even been close. I mean, does a 10-3 and three record matter if your three losses are to Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Michigan State? Like, like, what does the 10 wins matter? You lost to your two rivals, your two rivals in the Big Ten, and I don't, I don't, I don't know the history, but somehow Notre Dame's their rival too. Like, they have like eight rivals. Game. It's weird. Yeah, like, I mean, like, does it even matter? I just, I just don't understand it. Like, and and that's the whole point. Like, Michigan wants this Michigan man thing and all that other kind of stuff, and. But nobody's really bought in. I mean, I, I I subscribed to the Athletic, and they did a, you know a series of like the 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 biggest, the most instrumental games and in the two thousands. And one of them was two thousand one. That's the game that really flipped the rivalry. And they talked about Jim Tressel. They talked about when he was hired. The first thing he did was go to a basketball game and said, "Watch, we're beating Michigan." coming off yeah. multiple years of losing to Michigan. And what did they do? They beat them. And that really started the new age of the rivalry of everyone in Ohio buying back in, all the Ohio State coaches, all the players, and you see what happens. I mean, we've lost yeah. once, like what, once or twice in the last 20 years? So Yeah, once in the fickle year. Yeah. 
Hey, that's like in our worst year in 20 years. Ohio State could be 20 and 0 since 2001. And that is an absurd perspective if you really think about it. I, that's just, I, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, you don't even get a lucky one. And I think, like, you know, everyone See, can say. This rivalry meant so much to Jim Trestle. He's a decade removed from Tattoo Gate. He's a decade removed from leaving Ohio State. That he said recently in an interview that he said, Ohio State once there passed Michigan in the win column in the rivalry, he could later rest happy. You know, I know the words that were said about Jim Trestle when he was forced to resign and let go. And I remember all of the vitriol and hate for him, but it mattered so much to him to set that standard going forward because he was a guy, he was an athlete. He was a grad assistant at Ohio state. He understood the rivalry and, you know, he understood how to build championship teams and it meant beating your number one foe. And this is how serious Ohio state takes it. They saw what worked against Michigan. They saw how to prepare and how they prepared for him. So guess what? When they lost to Clemson in that heartbreaker, the first thing they did was they set a clock and they said, we're going to be back here and we're going to get our revenge. And guess what? They put so much focus into that, that it made them so much better. And you know, the craziest thing is you look at Michigan recruiting the last couple of years, they haven't been that far off. They've been top 10. They've been top 15 consistently. But these great players, you think Donovan Peoples-Jones, you think Jabril Peppers, you think all these kids like that who come in ultra-talented, they fail. 0-4, 0-4, 0-4 again and again. And it's because of one thing. They don't take it seriously. And I think you just have to give – I mean, maybe this makes me a super homer, but whatever, it's an Ohio State podcast. I, th- I think you have to give credit to the fact that Ohio State never gives up. You know you know how hard it is to beat someone or to do something so many times day in and day out and not get bored? And they never get bored with beating Michigan. They never get bored with the, with the, with the periods and all the things that they do, and that says something. Like, they, there hasn't been a layoff. It doesn't matter what how the season's going, and it, like – Michigan is the biggest game of the year. Every single year. I know every year when they come out with a hype video, I literally get chills. Like when you're talking about that uh, speech Jim Trussell gave, I have it deeply ingrained in my memory where he's like, in 263 days, and I got chills when you're talking about it because that is what's been ingrained to me since I was a small child who grew up an Ohio State fan. Like I hate those guys. Like I, I was walking around – this past week in Los Angeles, and I kept seeing these people wearing that color. I'm like, God, that's disgusting. Like, I'm, I hate seeing them here. I'm, I should have worn something Ohio State. Like, that's what it puts into my brain. And I don't think people in Michigan really have that mindset. I don't think they believe in that anymore. I don't think they believe they're on our level. I think they've given up. Yeah, and they try to hide behind being a, a better school. And it's like, sure, academically, Michigan is the slightly better school. It's, I don't even think it's significant, but fine. It's, it's really not significant. It's like, okay, but what does it have to do with sports? Like, that's fine. You can have that. But when it comes to sports, what do you have? What is When it comes to football, what do you have? Yeah, it's absolutely – it's the main point they always bring up. is like, well, we're still a better school. And then I remember, like, they would take those super low shots at Penn State about Jerry Sandusky. they take those super – Low shots at Ohio State about Richard Strauss. And now guess what? Their most beloved coach is literally in the hottest of water the university is over similar accusations and similar stuff. And it's it's a tough conversation. I don't think we're going to have it on this show. But it's absolutely, they hide behind this holier-than-thou mindset. They hide behind these wins that happened from 1870 to 1900. And they hide behind this academic prestige that's kind of a myth at this point. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a great school from an academic standpoint, but it's not significantly that much better than its Big Ten counterparts. And that's where I kind of get lost with it. And I'm like, what have you done for me lately? Absolutely nothing. Every time. Remember that year Ohio, the Big Ten was almost undefeated in bowl games and they had to go and choke? Yeah. <laughs> it's just what they do. It's in their blood. It's in their DNA to be losers. And Ohio State's ingrained that in the last 20 years. And now Jim Harbaugh's faking this hatred towards him. And it's too late because guess what? When Jim Harbaugh was there, it was during the Cooper era. So they had their way. They did whatever they wanted against Ohio State. But guess what? Those times have long passed. It's not easy. And to be honest, you're falling behind. And 
they keep dropping levels. And I just think it's too late for them. I think Harbaugh's tenure is a resounding failure. I think uh, the school has lost its direction when it comes to football specifically. And I think after Harbaugh, they are going to have a long rebuilding process ahead of them, similar to Nebraska. Yeah, honestly, I could see it. I, I could see it getting a lot worse. I think not that you know I'm here to fix Michigan or whatever, but I I, I think they ha- I think they have to get rid of the Michigan man thing. I think they need yeah. to go out and get a young coach who's really going to buy in. Like honestly, you know, and, and, and uh, I can't remember his name, but the two the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator from Indiana, uh, who just yeah. got head coaching jobs, someone like that. Maybe not their first job, but if one of them succeeds in their head coaching job they just got, someone like that, someone who's young, who's going to buy in, whether they're from that team up north, whether they're from the state, like they're going to buy in and they're going to do all the things that you need today in the social media age to get players, yeah, absolutely. things like that. I, I just think going to the old retread coaches, the Michigan man thing, you have to be a part of the university. You had to have been a part of the golden era. Like they need someone that's going to walk in and be like, listen, we're not what we used to be. We have to stop living in the past. We have to stop living off the hype, like you said, of victories in the early in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and we have to really take a hard look at this thing and rebuild. Because if yeah, they don't I, do that, it doesn't. It's it's, it's never going to change, and eventually, you know, they're just going to become middle of the pack. Yeah, I mean, Field Yost isn't walking through that door tomorrow to give them that resurgence from those early glory days. Like, this is something that has been a problem. Like, you know, Ohio State after you know Earl Bruce, they had two Ohio State guys back to back in Hayes and Bruce. They brought in John Cooper, an outsider, who built this great national recruiting platform. But guess what? He lost focus on what mattered, and that was beating the team up north. And that's where he failed. And that's where Trestle's success started. And it's the same for them. And once again, we're not trying to fix them. But I do like the sport more when this rivalry matters. Yep. When we are playing game of the century level games. When there's a playoff spot on the line, it does mean that much more. And I feel so confident every time we take the field against them that there's just no chance we lose that game. And that is what I love to feel. But I also want them to have that same level of confidence coming in and then us to beat the brakes off of them 62 to 39 or whatever. And that's 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 what we're going to do. I mean, that's it's just it's a tough conversation. Obviously, we love to see them down. It's it makes college football a little worse off having a blue blood down that bad. And we've got a couple in those pits. But the joke in itself is that Harbaugh keeps making sweeping declarations. And then he keeps going back on those words immediately after, which we saw with the red shoes showing up in the big house the next day. And the biggest question is, were you surprised? And no, you weren't. Because no, that has been absolutely his entire not. tenure. Yeah, the you've got the story of the cleats in the house. You've got the shirt off with weird pictures. And then you've got the red shoes in the big house. And his tenure is going to be more remembered for those weird instances than any success that happened on the football field. And that's the Jim Harbaugh conversation, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, and Michigan is going to remember it for the fact that they didn't fire him. They accepted yeah. mediocrity, essentially. That's exactly what they, they just did. They accepted mediocrity, and they were okay with it. Yeah, that's. I think that's the saddest thing right there about it. Um, but, you know, two guys uh, moving forward uh, have really lofty goals for the Central Ohio, that Southwest Ohio area. And, you know, Troy Smith and Braxton Miller, they've kind of gone their way and had decent success post-career at Ohio State. And they came up with this idea because when you look at college football and you look at the recruiting landscape, yes, Ohio is probably one of the top five or six states when it comes to players, but there's really not that level of that type of boarding school. You know, you think Don Bosco Prep, you think all the Catholic schools out here in California that kind of became superpowers over the last few years with transfer rules changing. And you think IMG Academy in the South. You know, Texas, it's its own breed in high school football. We don't even have to get into that. We all know that. But you saw the news. You see that Urbana Academy idea. How do you feel about there being a super athletic academy in, in the Ohio area? I think it would be the best thing that's happened to Ohio State and the worst thing that happened to college football as a whole. Uh, 
I think that something like that could make give Ohio State an Alabama-esque run. And I say that only because I don't think anyone will ever be like Alabama. That's just a historic run. But the closest you can get, I think Ohio State could get there. I mean, I, I just, again, maybe I'm a homer. I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that if you get all of these students, all of these kids into Ohio, less than an hour away from Ohio State, where they can take as many unofficial visits as they want. They can come on campus whenever they want. They can get coaching from the staff because that's what they do. We've already talked about Larry Johnson sending videos and different things. They can they can come and hang out with the players. They can come to every single football game. There's no way you tell me that the top recruits who if they if they can have it the top recruits that go to that school are not going to have Ohio State in their top three on top of just Ohio recruiting being solid. Like you said, one of the top four or five states in the country, always having top 100 players. I mean, and and you think you think of the you think of the, you know, the 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 kids that are going to go to that school. Right. You know, it's most likely going to be the best players from New York, best players from the Midwest, best players from Pennsylvania, like those ones. And yeah. Now Ohio State doesn't have to go travel to them. They can go less than an hour, which means also on the coaches' behalf, they can be there whenever they want to. Think about like, like my first thought about it was this is literally like creating a feeder program to Ohio State because if they're getting the elite level athletes that an IMG Academy is getting, so say they get the best players from Ohio, they obviously not all the best players from the state are going to go there, but you're going to get a significant amount of the top prospects from Ohio. You're going to get a significant amount of the top prospects from surrounding states like Indiana, Illinois. Like you said, you could even spread it out to the East coast. If the school gets that much respectability. And from there, it, it it's, it's a feeder program. It's literally a minor league farm system for Ohio state at that point. And the fairness level, you know, I guess they're recruiting at that level already. But if you just take out a couple of those flights, like you were saying, a couple of those extra challenges, uh, the saying is you're shooting fish in a barrel. Like that is how recruiting from that school would be. Because Troy Smith, Braxton Miller, two very well-known superstars from Ohio State. One's a Heisman winner and one was the one of the biggest highlight reels of the early 2010s college football. Like these two people, their faces have been all around Columbus for the last two decades. They have been superstars. And why wouldn't you want to come play at a school for them? If they set up the coaching, the structure and all that correctly, like this is such a win for Ohio state that they have two players wanting to do this. And I, I really have no words for it. Yeah. And for anyone listening, that's like, well, how would this be any different than IMG? The biggest difference is that Florida has a million big programs that have, they have University of Florida. They have Florida State. They have University. They have up and come. They have Miami. Then they have up and coming programs. UCF. Like you can't lock down. Georgia's on. Georgia's right next to it. It's right there. You can't lock down Florida. You can lock down Ohio. Ohio State has locked down Ohio. And granted, yes, obviously the other programs are going to come because it's in one location, but they're just not going to have the access that Ohio State has, and it's going to give them a leg up. It's just, it is. It is. You, you can't say it doesn't. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think it'll be very beneficial for just the northern states in general to start kind of following suit with the south because you're starting to see a lot more of these preparatory schools pop up in the south, you know, uh, especially in basketball, you got like Montverde Academy, you've got IMG, obviously, and you've got four or five more in just Florida alone. And those schools usually also have football teams and other athletic teams as well. So now you're starting to talk about the whole, you know, I what's the one in Minnesota, that one that's a basketball power. There's a basketball power in Minnesota, and they usually send kids all over the place. But you start giving Chris Holtman access in that direction at a school that local, with Midwest talent, like this is an absolutely obvious, like I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. You know, there's money to be made. There's obviously a ton of talent in the area just naturally. And then geographically you're surrounded by States with really good sports, whether it's football, basketball. Uh, So there's a lot of different opportunities here. And I think my favorite point you brought up, and I didn't even think about it from that perspective is like, those schools in Florida, yeah, there's a ton of competition going there. Ohio, what we're competing against Cincinnati and the other Big Ten schools. Well, number one, we've fenced, we've put a fence around Ohio. Ohio State has since 
uh, I don't know, it's been 20 years and we've gotten every single top recruit we've wanted, except Jackson Carmen, it feels like. And from there, I guess the job is just making sure they don't leave at that point. And it's it's a lot easier. I mean, it's a lot easier if they're in one place. And that's the thing. Like, no one's saying that Ohio State's going to get every single recruit from there all the time, but it just makes it easier. And, easier. and when yeah. you're already so good at something, if you make it slightly easier, there's going to be a bump. And yeah. it, it just it's just how it works. There's nothing else that you can say about it. And like you said, it, it's surprising that it hasn't happened. And that's honestly where if anyone pays attention to high school sports, it's going to be more so in basketball because basketball's rules are just entirely different. But that's where we're going. We're going to prep schools. And Florida has them. The South has them. It's, it's a time that, you know, the Midwest and the North, you know, add, adds on to it. And Ohio is the perfect place to start it. Ohio is the perfect place to start it. And it's it's almost, again, unfair that if it does actually happen, it's started by two Buckeye legends. Like, it's the only thing to say is, like you said, it's a feeder program. It's going right to Ohio State. Yeah. The only thing that'll save other programs is Ohio State's not going to have enough spots to take every single player. Yeah. And that's, that's really it. So it's going to be good for everybody, but it's going to be especially good for Ohio State. And I, I mean, I just think about it like, you know, uh, I I don't know that this happens because I don't know that this actually happens at IMG. But come on, man, if you're a coach, right, and you and you start recruiting someone as a sophomore and they're in California and they're somewhere else. Are you telling me you're not like dropping hints like, hey, if you're if your parents OK, it, there's a school down the street. You could come play for your senior year. You could come play for your junior year. You could be right down the street from Ohio State. Absolutely. It's recruits, crazy. Like, yeah, and you got to think, like, say uh, a guy like Court Williams, he's just the first name that popped in my head. He's like, yeah, you know what? I want to be closer to my coaches the year before. I've already got my offer. I've already got my – I've already accepted. I'm going there. I've committed. So why not play closer to him? Why not take those extra steps to, like, take those unofficials, take those and get those learning opportunities more often? Like, it's it's just – the more we talk about it, we just keep going down the list. The positives keep rising. Mm-hmm. And the negatives, I'm like, I don't. Let's get this school built right now. That's how I'm yeah. kind of feeling. I mean, just think of it like a, a recruit like JT. You know, Seattle, it's it's fine. Football is there, right? But uh, you think like you're a national recruit and you have a chance to play better football. I mean, there's going to be a lot of. This is kind of like the dirtier side of high school sports. But think about all the money that would funnel through this. If it yeah. was successfully like through like fair donations and like the mm-hmm. general, like the way you're supposed to do it, like people would fund this school oh, if yeah. it really meant what it was. Like people would throw their money at it, especially because it would help the Ur- Urbana area. It would help be great for the state. It would be great for all of all of these academics. And, you know, you, they'd sell it however they'd want to sell it. But I mean, it's just easy at this point to like, I- I'm sold. Yeah, you know, I'll send a fifty dollar check because that's about all I have. But <laughs> oh, let's get it going. Listen, start it next year. I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we're gonna go to a break real quick. Get the rest of the show settled in. But we're gonna talk about two transfers. We probably jinxed it. I know we did. And then we're <laughs> gonna get into our best offensive tackles since 2005, which was actually a lot tougher than. We both thought it was going to be coming into it, and there's a lot of repeats on the list. But that's besides the point. We'll see you guys in however long the ads last. All right, welcome back for the break, everybody. Uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying this show so far. We're always glad to have you here. Uh, the Land Grant Holy Land feed's been awesome. Make sure you're checking out all the shows, hang out on the Holy Land. Uh, all the stuff Matt Tamanini's working on, the dotted line, his end conversations. He's doing a lot of podcasting. Uh, it's a lot with a lot of people you guys like to hear from. And then uh, Play Like a Girl as well, as well as reading all our awesome articles we're putting up there. Just make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're checking it every morning and make sure you give me and Jordan some love in the reviews when you're done listening to this podcast because you're having a lot of fun with us. But guess what? It's not all good news for me and Jordan because we talked about the receiver room last week. And 
there were some casualties due to the depth, and we're going to get into that real quick because I think me specifically owes you guys an apology because I was like, yeah, Ohio State never loses any wide receivers ever. And we lost Jamison Williams, so we all know that. That's one, okay. Now we've lost Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner, and I know you guys are all probably sighing like, oh, my God, those guys weren't even going to play anyways. But we owe it to you guys to talk about it because we set this up exactly on purpose, unfortunately. Uh, How do you feel that we were wrong here? You know, I don't like being wrong, but at the end of the day, it's not surprising. I I just feel like I wouldn't even really consider us wrong. Like, yeah, what else were they going to do? Honestly, though, at at the same time, I mean, we did that in June. Most yeah. players transferred like a lot earlier. Like, what are they? You know, I, I just I don't know if maybe it took some time for them to transfer. I I don't know. It, it's a little late. Um, maybe they showed up for summer workouts, which should be beginning, and they're like, man, some of these freshmen look legit. We're we're never gonna play. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. At the end of the day, I look at it like this. You know, a lot of people think transferring is bad. I don't think transferring is bad as long as you're ch- keeping the best players. You know, if the people yeah. who aren't absolutely. Play, transfer that's the best for both worlds so i i was a little intrigued by it i hope elijah gardner and jalen harris find very successful landing spots for him i i root for almost every ohio state player that leaves i'm even like rooting for jameson williams like i totally get it bro like go get yours if you feel like there's going to be a better fit for you go get it like that's what it's all about you're there to maximize your visibility and get to the next level that's the whole point of going well, besides going to school, obviously, we know that. But the other point is to get to the professional level and get paid to play sports. I think Elijah Gardner and I think Jalen Harris made the right business decision. I hope they find a place that accepts them. But I think this kind of leading to a more grander topic. And we talked about this a little bit last week. But are we going to start seeing more players willing to take the opportunity to come compete at Ohio State because they know they're going to get coached by Brian Hartline, because they know they're going to get coached by Ryan Day, and take all those things they learned and go and succeed elsewhere. Because, granted, there's going to be some good coaches around the country, and there's going to be immediate ability to play, but I just think about it. I'm like, you can take two years. You can take three years. Learn from the best. Compete against the best. See where you're at. Transfer out, because people are going to want to take Ohio State players, just generally. And I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on that idea. I, honestly, I would. I, I mean, especially if you think of it like, one, it's a business decision. One, you know, if you can start at Ohio State, if you start at Ohio State, you're going to the pros. As we talked about last week or two weeks ago, you may not even need to go to the pros. I mean, you, you may not, yeah, you even, might need not even start. To start. You might not even need to play. I mean, we yeah, like, CJ Saunders. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, he signed with the Panthers. He just yeah. he was there. He was hurt for two straight years and he still got a shot with the team. Yeah. You know, so I, I think. I would, and and, and as, as someone that works in academics, it's your first two years. Ohio State's classes are going to transfer just about anywhere. We're talking about yeah, students I mean, still, but they're taking their math, they're taking their English, they're taking their writing. Like it's not setting them back academically, and and you're challenging yourself against the best in the world. And then if it doesn't work. You go to Alabama. Well, I mean, maybe maybe uh, not Alabama. Yeah, but, but like, if it doesn't work, you go to Indiana. You go to Kent State. You go to Kentucky. You go anywhere you want to, and you can still make it to the league. You can you can get all the things that you want. And you're not? probably coming better off because yeah. you've got the most elite facilities. You've got the most elite coaching, and it's unfortunate that it turned out that way because obviously, when a recruit gets to Ohio State, I root for them to have the most successful career ever. That's just who I am. Like, I honestly, when a recruit signs to a college, I'm like, I hope you have a very successful career. Like, it doesn't matter if they go to Ohio State or not. I just root for these kids because that's what it should be about. They're college kids playing sports. They're young. And at the end of the day, uh, it, it's it's what it's all about. And I think this is kind of what we're going to see. And, you know, right before we got on the show, I saw some beef with the McCaffrey bros and – Scott Frost, and I think they are very out of context with what Scott Frost said. Uh, If you want me to fill you in real quick, Christian McCaffrey and Max McCaffrey, uh, Luke McCaffrey's two older brothers. I know a lot of McCaffrey's there. Uh, They came at Scott Frost because he transferred in college, right? And he said that some players are taking bad advice. So Luke McCaffrey transfers to Louisville, doesn't have a guaranteed scholarship, doesn't have a guaranteed 
spot on the team as a quarterback leaves immediately transfers to rice so from what i've heard he got bad advice well what i've been reading about with ohio state coaches and this is where i think it kind of starts separating is ohio state coaches are very honest and upfront like you might play here you might not but you're gonna work hard and you're gonna be the best version of yourself until well you either leave or you play and i think that's the mindset that college football is going to I, honestly, I I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope that's the mindset. I don't know if I trust that because... I don't think... So, with what I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the top schools with the the best run programs will absolutely think that way. I oh, think yeah. they're going to take the best players, and that's why and, they're going to be successful. And they'll pick and choose, just like Alabama did with uh, Henry Toa Toa, and yeah. Ohio State tried to do with Henry Toa Toa. Uh, I mean, the best programs are going to do that. I, there, I, there are some genuine fears about the transfer portal, and I understand that. Um, but like, why wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, like See, the best programs are going to—they're going to handle it right because they don't have to. They don't have to, you know take just anyone they're going to look and say okay we need you we only have two spots to fill we're going to go get the two best players in those spots um i could see some concern for someone like a luke mccaffrey who was supposed to be better than he was and didn't get the opportunities that he got and i think may i i I hope you know just being positive i guess i hope that this i hope people learn from his experience and the the instance that he's a big enough name that people are going to see it it's fine to transfer but wait make sure you have a make the right decision make sure you have what you're looking for so you don't just keep bouncing around that's going to be the problem that happens when when kids think that they can just go anywhere and i hope that maybe with mccaffrey being a big enough name because of his brother and his success in the nfl that some other you know athletes see that and and maybe you know yeah. Be more mindful, not telling them not to transfer, but make sure you're transferring to where you're supposed to. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think he, it makes sense. Like, I don't think Luke McCaffrey gets the same shot again if he doesn't have the last name. You know, a no. lot of these kids are going to take these risks transferring to a place that makes these false promises, and we have already seen it with college basketball. The transfer portal it's was brutal. at record highs. It was broken. At, honestly, there's more rosters. So there's less roster spots than there are people in the portal. And that's absolutely absurd if you think about it. And I think just moving forward, I know it started with two guys who probably were never going to play to Ohio State, but there's a lot of guys who are in those roles who have opportunities to go elsewhere and succeed. And it's awesome. But there's also those guys who take these flyers with some coach that they met like one time during a transfer portal recruiting visit. And guess what? All of it was lies, and they just wanted to get the player in so he's not somewhere else. And you're back where you started, and that's what we should be worried about. That's the one way we got to protect players, and the players have to protect themselves in that regard because they're the ones making the decisions at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I hope with uh, with the increase in the transfer portal comes an increase in, you know, acknowledging the pitfalls and an increase in education and things like that. So that the majority of players at least are not getting screwed over by the system. Yeah, I got you for sure. I think we're on the same page with that one specifically. Uh, But yeah, I guess uh, let's get into, I believe the final topic of the show. Uh, We got to get this running because my charger is not doing a great job. Uh, Best offensive tackle since 2005. So, this is probably not going to be as long as we were hoping this segment would be weekly because we really just like this is this was probably the hardest position. Like I'm looking oh, at yeah. the list right now of all the other positions. I'm like, I can name like three people right now immediately. And then a quick Google search from about 10 years ago will show me. All right. There's like five or six more that I missed. This position was surprisingly very bare. And yeah. if you want to lead us into it, let's let's get into it. Yeah, so this week, you know, trying to pair them, you know, we did defensive end, so it it's, only makes sense we do offensive tackles next. Um, and, and as we already said, this was hard. Um, and I, I'm trying to figure out why it was hard. And I'm like, because I love offensive line play. So it's not even like, you know, one either one of us is like, oh, we don't pay attention to the offensive line. We don't. Yeah, like- I mean, the, the hogs build the program. That's what they yeah, always come say. On like, now, it's so. the foundation. Like, we need these guys. Yeah. But, like, man, it was just like, why is this so hard? So um, I, I can start with my number five. Um, 
I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not super confident in this one. Um, my, my number five is Mike Adams. Uh, and the re- really the reason why I chose Mike Adams is because he was successful while he was here uh, and he was a second round pick. And I think when you're looking at the best players, you you can't, you know, really consider, you know, entirely their NFL career. Like he may not have had the best NFL career, but to be a second round pick coming out of Ohio State as an offensive tackle, as I've mentioned before, just in the vein of consistency, I want to see more first and second round picks coming from Ohio State on the offensive line, especially at tackle. Um, I think that's saying something. So I, I'm not super confident in it. If, if someone adds me and is like, ah, you're stupid, I, I may not argue that one. But my, my number five is uh, Mike Adams. Yeah, so I went a very similar route. I went with like one of the few names I could actually remember. And I was like, God, who was the tackle? And I went through the list. And I even had Pat Elfline freaking penciled in because I just kind of – I messed that one up pretty bad. Uh, but I put Jamarco Jones as my number five. Uh, he – was a guy he was a 27 game starter i think he was one of those guys who kind of just disappeared into like the stars and he was consistent he was yep. there uh he was just a really a jersey number with a name but like you know i guess the best thing you could say about an offensive tackle is you didn't hear his name all that much yep <laughs> unless it's like an orlando pace type so he did his job most certainly, and he obviously did well enough to get drafted, and that's why Jamarco Jones is five. So for context, that is my reasoning for five. He started 27 games, and he got drafted. So that's where we're at with this list. I mean, honestly, but I think I think you've put it right. Like why we struggled with this is because you don't want to know your offensive tackle. Like you don't, you don't maybe, and maybe in the NFL, you want to know because first round picks, number one picks, all that other kind of stuff, but you don't want to know your offensive tackles. You just want to know that they didn't give up a sack. Um, And Ohio at Ohio state, at least, I think we know more of the interior offensive line because they win more of the trophies. And as I said, wanting those number one recruits, those things, we want them to start winning those trophies. But in general, you just want someone that is solid, that doesn't give up sacks. That's always there. And I think that's what we've had. Maybe not, superstars but our quarterback's not always on the ground so that's what it's all about i mean they're doing their job man that's yeah jamarco jones is number five on my list because he did his job and that is that i mean that's what we brought him here for (laughs) yeah all right so who you got at number four on your list uh number four on my list is uh jack muhort um Almost similar to year five. It's a name I remembered. Uh, another draft pick. He played for the Colts. He has a pretty solid NFL career. And um, I just remember, you know, I remember that when he played, I just, I never had to worry about him. And I, and I, well, actually, I don't even want to say that because I feel like we're repeating ourselves. I remember that when he got drafted to the Colts, I was happy, you know, because I he was because you remember he was like pretty solid. You're like, this guy actually isn't that bad. Yeah, and I'm a Colts fan. I've mentioned that Uh before. So when I was looking at someone, I was like, Jack has to be on there because I wouldn't. Oh, Jack, Yeah, I can hear you. All right, so my number four, I'm just going to, you know, keep it short and sweet, is Jack Muhort. And really, you know, I, I feel like we're maybe doing a disservice, but the reason why he's on here is he was steady. And I remember as a Colts fan, when we drafted him, I was excited about it. And, you know, I think that says everything that you need to say. You know, he was someone that you could trust to play. Uh, he could play both tackles. Um and I think that's really what Ohio State's looking for. I really think that, you know, when you have someone who you don't have to think about and someone that you that you trust to always go out every single day, um, I think that's what you're looking for. And so that, that may be the theme of this list, and that may not be fun, but that's what Ohio State goes for in offensive tackles. And that, I think Jack Muhort perfectly embodied that, and I think his yeah, NFL no, career sure. and the success I, that I he Jack had, Muhort I think that shows, American, you know, if that I he recall. should be on this list. Oh, I just pulled up his Wikipedia page. Yep, he was an All-American by ESPN. So, I mean, that means he put in work yeah, during so his time well. at Ohio State. He got recognition for it, which means he obviously and, did not fail at being an offensive tackle. And I think he's one of the few in the last 15 years who did get all American honors. Yeah. And go- 
Yeah, I was just gonna say that going through the list, there wasn't a whole lot that got All American honors. Yeah, so I think, uh, he not Jack only was he successful at Ohio State, he was really recognized nationally, and player. I think that's I think really what you're Jones going. is in that category as well, where they're just really good college football players, but they were never ever going to be seen as the best in the country. And when you look at All American teams, whether it's first team or second team, that's four spots for tackles. And Ohio State has never really, besides Orlando Pace's. It's, it's tough to have one of the four best tackles in the country, just generally speaking. So thinking about it, like I think Ohio State had a lot more all Big Ten tackles than yeah. uh, a lot. But, I mean, even in our own conference, we're competing against Wisconsin regularly, who's an offensive line powerhouse. Iowa consistently putting out great tackles. So just because our tackles weren't always getting the big awards, they doesn't mean they weren't solid college football players. Like, I, I think – that's something we also have to add in here. My number four was Kirk Barden. Uh, he yeah, definitely. is an All-American. Uh, he is more well-known, I think, at this point for owning the scoop or something. I don't even know what he really does. He just kind of – sometimes he reports, sometimes he talks. Uh, a lot goes into what Kirk Barden is doing, but he was an All-American uh, during that – 2007 to 2010 range, I believe. Oh, 2007 was when he ended. So he was kind of on those uh, Troy Smith-led teams. Very good football player. Got drafted in 2008. Uh, came in, and he was a multi-year starter. And I once again, I think uh, the easiest way to make the list is be an All-American. The second easiest way to make this list is be a multi-year starter. And then... You know, he's a popular name among Buckeye fans. He's a very good football player, and I think a lot of them, a lot of people would consider him a mauler back in the day when in a more run heavy scheme. So I, I think Kirk Barton's my fourth. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Uh, so my third uh, is another one. It's Taylor Decker. Uh, Taylor Decker was, first of all, he was a first-round pick by the Lions. He was another All-American. That's two of the All-Americans. So, um, I mean, I think saying he's a first-round pick says it all. And he became one of the, like, just one of the random stats that I pulled up when I was looking into him. He became one of the, the first players in Lions history as a rookie to start all 16 games. So not only was he, you know, a good college player, you know, not only was he a first round pick, he was an immediate impact in the NFL. And I, I think his career got derailed a little bit due to like injuries and things like that. Um, but he was a starting left tackle in the NFL immediately. Yeah, um, I, and I'm that is not something Taylor that Decker. you say a lot for Ohio State offensive bit, line. So, I'm not so give away again, all my opinion on him, but list. I think number three is a pretty good spot for him given a lot of what you're saying, I think he was kind of like, he was on that Billy Price, Corey Lindsley. That line was unbelievable. Just the names you could bring up on it. And I think at the end of the day, he was probably the most talented player in that club. Oh my in God. School. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where I was leading with it. But my number three is Nicholas Petit Friere. Yes. Recency bias owns my brain, especially with offensive tackles. I think Nicholas Petit Friere, and this is projecting, is going to be a first or second round pick. He's a phenomenal athlete for his size. And this last year, uh, him and Thayer Munford had a battery that gave up very few pressures. And I think you could count the amount of sacks they gave up on one hand. So, that being said, just from a pure production standpoint, and unfortunately for the guys before us, pro football focus wasn't as in depth at the time as these guys, or we'd probably see some similar stats. But I think Nicholas Petit Friere, I mean, he's had a career that's kind of went up and down. You know, he started in the Rose Bowl game. Everyone said he's next in line. Brandon Bowen ended up getting the starting job over him. And then the following year, he had a lot of competition from incumbents, or he's the incumbent, from people incoming. And Paris Johnson Jr., and he won it. And now he's got an opportunity to play himself into the first round. And I really believe at the end of the day when he tests and does all that, he will be.
Yeah, I'm I'm a big uh, Petit Freer fan, uh, and partially because, you know, when we talk about these transfers and things like that, he's someone that could have transferred. I mean, I believe he was the number one tackle in the country. He came in, he was skinny, and he needed to gain weight. And like you said, he, he hailed as the starter. He's supposed to be the guy, Brandon Bowen, who comes off a, a crazy leg injury, you know, takes the starting job and what I mean he doesn't complain he doesn't leave he doesn't do any of that kind of stuff he sticks it through he sticks to the weight training the program and he really you know I think he I think he's a success uh, and and this I mean this really leads into me he's my number two um you know just to go ahead and put that out there I think he's a success of showing like you know maybe you don't always get that immediate success maybe you don't always get that thing that backs your recruiting ranking but like you said I, I mean hardly ever gives pressures. He hardly ever gives sacks. He has a very good chance of playing into the first round. And honestly, I'm not going to say he will play into the first round only because you don't know the other the other tackles in the country and things like that. But I I would be willing to say there's no way he falls out of the second. And I would be surprised if he's not a first-round tackle because I think he's going to have that quality of a year. Um, so, I agree. Oh, yeah. 100%. No, I mean, I like how I you think you let him three do is a great that. place I to put him. Um, I personally Nicholas have him at two. Is I think he's a candidate to join that All American club. I do, and I think uh, uh, the guy I'm about to mention in Thayer Munford, he's my number two. Uh, he oh, yeah. and Nicholas Petit Friere are both very athletic. They're very big, and they just are so good in both the run and the pass that they're very complete tackles. And I don't think both of them are going to be able to get All-American honors because they love to spread the love around a little bit. But I think both of them can make All-American teams of sorts. Both of them can. So I'm really excited to see kind of what Thayer Mumford does. He's taking that extra year. He's going to be a rare five-year starter. And a lot of people were actually kind of surprised that he came back. But at the end of the day, I really do believe that he is a guy that can – play himself into uh, All-American honors. I think, what are you talking about? A guy who's going to be a leader on the team and all that stuff. I think he's the first name that comes to mind. And I think he's going to have a lot of respect and a lot of people who adore him later in his career when it's all said and done. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and kind of to do the same thing I did last time, he's actually my number one. Um, and the reason why he's number one is everything that you said. But also just you think about it, like you said, he's going to be a five-year starter. Think of all the players who've come into Ohio State. And every single year, every single camp, despite the injuries, the back, all of that stuff, no one's been able to beat him out. Um, I think, you know, he he may not have some of the – some of the hardware that we want, some of the All-Americans, best tackle in the country, those type of things. But I agree. I think he can play himself into number one. I think he's going to be one of those players who may go down as, you know, one of the best tackles in Ohio State history. Um, obviously, just out of the consistency, you know, I think he's going to have to be mentioned. I think, you know, when we go back 10, 15 years in the future and we start doing all-decade yeah. teams and things like that, I think he's a player that may start to show up on some of those things. And so – and it, it, it may be recency bias, and but I think I just think he's that. I think he's that level. No, I think he's that quality, and I think he deserves yeah, it. I, I mean, think, five honestly, years holding down the left side, and you never have to worry about it. We had a multi even when he's in his Decker. back. We had Jamarco Jones, who started twenty seven games. Maybe that's why this list was so hard, because there's only like six people to choose from. Uh, but. Yeah, I guess uh, that takes me into my number one, and my number <laughs> one was Taylor Decker. Uh, I guess. I mean, I kind of he's he's been established. We already know how great he was. We've seen his career wrap up, and that's kind of what had me lean towards him as my number one. I guess we've seen him. He had the All American honors. He was a guy who got drafted in the first round. Uh, those are accolades that you can count, you can see, and we saw him play. He was integral in the chase for a national championship in the many bowl games we won in his time and rebuilding Ohio State. He was part of that foundation member, one of those key Buckeyes like the Ezekiel Elliott, those types of guys who really pushed the program forward. And I think that's part of why he comes into where he does with me. 
No, I I totally agree. I I actually considered putting him on uh, number one. I think I went a little bit, you know, towards the future, maybe a little recency bias because I think that yeah. Thayer Mufford and Petit Freer have the chance and the potential to end on such a high note like he did. But I mean, again, like you yeah, said, we've think, seen it. We know what his career is. At the end of the day, when it comes did. to Ohio State, tackles, I think that's we're not, a great we're not number one option. Talking. I mean, like I just said, like we had a five year starter, like that's half a decade. So that's what we're starting from 2005. There's two tackle spots. One of them's been taken up for a third of that amount of time. So just do some math here. There has not there was not a lot of options. No, there wasn't, but I think Ohio State's done what it's needed to do. Yeah, it would be cool, and I know I've asked for it, and I'm going to keep saying it. It'd be cool to get more of some of the number one. It'd be cool to have a, a tackle that's you know fighting for the number one pick in the draft no and things like that. But and at the end of the day, what really matters? In the run game. Yeah. No sacks. That's what it's all no about. No pressures. And consistency. Just because the lists were pretty similar, yeah, and just and because there were only so many, everyone options, doesn't on this mean list we didn't try really it. hard here. I, I mean, I'd love to hear you guys come up with a different five than we did because it really. It really came, and it was really pretty tough to narrow it down to just five. Uh, but, yeah, I guess – oh, yeah, you got one more thing to say on this one? No. Yeah. I was just going to say I agree, yeah. and I think, you know, we just got to appreciate two positions it. Sometimes you got to appreciate the boring Defensive because the boring is good. In this situation, boring is good. <laughs> if those two positions are boring and you don't hear much from them all day, it usually means things are going right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like a Moly Cooker or oh, yeah. Marshall Lattimore. Because as soon as you know their name, board, it's, t- it's it probably is not a, a bad good thing. sign <laughs> that they know your name is defensive back or left tackle. So yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess that takes us into our best for last year. So uh, if you guys know anything about college football, you know the power dynamic out west usually runs through USC and Oregon and a few other teams before it gets to this one. But earlier this week, a guy by the name of George Wrightster, uh, I, I've called him George Wrongster before. I don't know. We've had we've never been in an argument, but I have disagreed with some of his takes. And I've called him George Wrongster, thinking I was the most clever dude on the planet because his last name's Wrightster. But at the at the end of the day, he teased this huge news, and I put this in our best for last because I'm just shocked. Like when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, is like. Something going to happen because I didn't read the tweet right the first time. Like, is Ohio State in trouble? Is Alabama in trouble? And then I saw West, and I'm like, okay, USC, Oregon, one of these teams in trouble. And then the news broke today. It was Arizona State. So, how much do you think that actually shifts the power dynamics in the West? Um, I don't know if it shifts the power dynamics, but yeah, it's interesting at least. Everyone kind of, associates especially with the, with, with the coaches, good, like Herm Edwards, and, and a lot rules. of times you, at least me personally, uh, yeah, he's paying right, player, a stand up like, guy, and then it's like, the program like no, it was SMU before he the broke death one of the big ones. <laughs> you know, he broke and the big rules. So. I was just like, I was like, oh my god, like what's gonna happen? Uh, Matt made a good joke. Matt Tamanini, he's our editor. He made a really good joke in the chat. He's like, "Did you did Pete Carroll cheat at USC or something?" And I that gave me a chuckle. And when I saw it today, I saw the I thought about the original tweet and like it's going to shift the power <laughs> dynamics in the Western region of college football. I'm like, okay, Arizona State, the fourth or fifth best team in the Pac-12 regularly. If Arizona State football disappeared, this is like the impact they've had on the college football landscape. If their football program disappeared, like zero would change in all honesty. Because most of the recruits in Arizona are leaving the state. Uh, Arizona and Arizona State, I don't know the last time they were actually relevant. I mean, I think the 90s. So realistically, are we – Really shifting power dynamics? My answer is no. I don't think this changed anything. I just think this is kind of an interesting story, and I think this kind of shows the underbelly of college football, and I always am drawn to those stories. But the way it was sold and billed, I'm a little disappointed, actually. (laughs) 
Honestly, the only thing I think this changes, and I don't even know if it makes that big effect. The only thing I could say that, like, yeah. watch out for is maybe people being more cautious of hiring ex-NFL coaches who, you Absolutely. know, are used to running things a certain way and not really fully understanding or caring about the college process. Um I don't know if this is a big enough deal to do that, but that is the only thing that I could see coming out of it. It's not changing anything. I know some people, you know, had thought this was going to be the year. They say that about everyone. And anytime, I mean, they've said that about Nebraska for three years. They've said it about Michigan for 20 years. Like, I know a lot of people did have this being a a big year for Arizona State. And maybe maybe it would have been. Who knows? Um, Because I do think Herm Edwards is a good coach. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they're probably – uh, yeah, power dynamics, the whole power structure, saw, like that. Power dynamics, I'm like, it's Oregon. I was like, this it's is Oregon. Oregon. It's got to do with Phil Knight. We could talk <laughs> something like that. I was like, this is going to be a big story. Then it came out, and it was Arizona State. And I'm sorry to leave you guys on this level of disappointment, but I was just so I wasn't like irritated, but I was like, I was like, come, what, what's Chris Carter's old thing? Come on, man. Remember NFL? That's how I felt. I was like, that's it. Are we serious here? And yeah. So I I guess that'll wrap it up for today. Jordan, any last words for everybody listening? Yeah. I don't, I don't have any last words. Like you always say, uh, like yeah, subscribe I think, uh, check out all the stories uh, we have a lot of good things coming up and we appreciate you listening. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned. We're kind of getting to the, the slow part of the off season after this month of recruiting, we're going to get into a really slow time. So we're going to come up with some clever stuff for you guys, but uh, overall, yeah, just make sure you're following us on all social medias. Me at Chris Rennie CFB, Jordan. Uh, yep. And then make sure you're following the show for all show updates and any Ohio state uh, black underscore royalty eight day at buck off pod. And as always, Thanks for coming and have a wonderful weekend because this show releases on Fridays. So make sure you have some fun in the sun because it's starting to get warm. Yes. All right. We're good to go. Sweet, sweet, sweet. That was a fun show. Uh, Apologies for the technical difficulties there. I just don't know what happened. Like my computer. Hold on.